the writing itself, I, you know, I didn't know it at the time, obviously, it became healing. It became therapy for me. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi there, and welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast. I'm your host, Allison Fallon, and today's episode is a really special one. Today, I talked to bestselling author Robert Imbo about how writing his book, Before I Leave You, quite literally saved his life. Before I dive into the contents of today's episode, I do want to provide fair warning that if the topic of suicide or addiction is triggering for you, and or if you have little ears around and find those topics to be too mature for them, this would be the time to pause this episode and come back to it when it's a better time. Or maybe you don't come back to it all. That's totally up to you. I just wanted to give you a minute to hit pause before I continue. But if you're still listening, know that the reason I'm sharing this powerful story with you is because it does such an incredible job of demonstrating the power writing can have to help us stand outside of our own stories and see them in a new way. I won't give away too much of his story here because it's really better if he tells you himself, but Robert quite literally started his book as a goodbye letter to his family and friends before taking his own life and ended up instead being saved by the very words that were meant to be his last. Now that his book is a published work, it's encouraging thousands of other readers who have faced the same demons he has, and it's a bestseller at that. So if you're someone who has questioned whether your story matters or whether writing really has the power to heal, or if books should be written by people who don't have huge Instagram platforms, this is really a thing I hear from people, then I know Robert's story is going to inspire you, it's going to encourage you, and hopefully it might prompt you to write your very own story. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Robert Imbo. I'm here today with Robert Imbo. Hi, Robert. Hello, Allison. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to get into so many aspects of your story and your relationship to writing, and, and there are so many topics that we can cover today. But I'm going to start with the question we always start with in these interviews, which is, what does it mean to you to find your voice? What does it mean to me to find my Oh, wow. I guess a way to express my authenticity you know, uh, and that's, I think that's a heavy statement <laughs> and because I have to find that authenticity first and yeah, it's kind of like chicken and the egg because, you know, it was a, it was a Henry James is like, I'll tell you what I'm thinking when I write it down. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's exactly how it works though. You start writing, you surprise yourself. I think I find, I, at least I do. <laughs> I do too, all the time. And so many writers will say that to me. They'll say, you know, at a workshop or something, They'll be like, look at what I wrote down. I didn't even know that I thought that, or I didn't even know I felt that way. That I have that experience all the time. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Well, give us a little bit of background to you. Like, where do you, where do you come from? How did you get into writing? Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
I'm from Montreal, Canada, originally, and uh, raised throughout in, in a couple of different cities in Canada. In my teenage years in school, I really started love loving poetry and, and creative writing. I had a really influential teacher at the time, and I was grounded a lot. <laughs> so I had a lot of opportunity to to write more. And I would write, I think 14 to 15 year old, I was writing short stories and novellas and, and just sort of just expressing my creativity that way. Mm. And uh, I kind of let it go uh, for, for many years, but I've, I've always had that, you know, creative desire and I wasn't sure if I had the creative talent to pursue it, but uh, I pursued other things. I was, I, uh, I worked in tech, I worked in startups and um, did well there. And after I left, I decided to, to I'm fast forwarding very quickly, yeah. but after I left the startup community, I decided to, to pursue writing because I had this memoir in me mm-hmm. and I had to get it out. And, uh, and yeah, this is what happened. That, I, I do want to spend some time talking about that because the phrase you just said, I had this memoir in me and I had to get it out is something I really resonate with that. That's my story as a writer too, and becoming an author. And I know so many of our listeners resonate with that. The sense like, I don't even, I feel silly for even saying I want to write a book, but I know I need to. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I want to back up for one second and talk about your time as an entrepreneur and in the tech world, uh, working on startups, partly because I think in my experience of talking to people about writing in a world like an entrepreneurial world or the tech world, I hear a lot of, I'm not a writer that's not really for me. Uh, so I'm curious if you bumped up against that at all. Like, what was your writing life like during that time in your life? And also, what was that time of your life like? I mean, so it's all interrelated because I, I was kind of addicted to work and the addiction was a result of a trauma, which is we can get into. But mm-hmm. And in those years as I'm building companies and I'm getting complimented on my writing because I just kind of made of an effort to have fun with it, you know, be, you know, just, just play with verbiage and try to be a, you know, a good communicator being articulate. And uh, a few people have said, you know, you, you're a really good writer. You should, you know, consider writing, you know, a blog and stuff. And so I did. And so the writing was, was a part of it. I started out as an engineer, so it was a different kind of writing, (laughs) but, uh, even in, I, I wrote my my first book is is actually I helped work on a technical manual that would rival any sleep aid, <laughs> um, and it's back. It, it, it certainly it's back in the early e-commerce days, and it was uh, don't hate me here, but it was for uh, CRA to. Um, figure out how to audit e- co- co- um, companies, which oh. is, you know, how to tax e-commerce companies. So I'd explain how e-commerce worked and it was just incredibly, incredibly dry, but I loved writing. I just loved losing time. Uh, it, it was my flow. Like I really loved it. And it was really, really, even it was really difficult <laughs> and it was really boring and I hated the subject matter, but I loved writing. So um, uh, that was one of the first things. This is like, geez, 25 years ago now. But in the startup community, it was, you know, it was just writing blog posts, being a part of articles and that sort of thing. Uh, very, very limited, of course. Yeah. So then as you're doing the, that type of writing, was there something like what's the first time you remember feeling the pull to write, to, to work on a bigger project? Or like when is the first time that the idea of a book came into your mind? 
I think it was always just sort of sitting in the back of my head that, well, you know, eventually I'm going to retire and get into writing. And I think it was more of a pipe dream that way. I didn't take myself seriously, I don't think, but it very much was because of the catalyst, because of the repressed memory, which is what I I really write, write about that pivoted my life completely. And that, realization was turned into a different kind of writing. (laughs) And I don't know if you want to get into that now, but yeah, it's probably ideal. Like I'm have already created a first uh, successful startup and we're working with two partners on, on my second most recent, which is skyrocketing. And I think everything is going well. And then this repressed memory comes up and it just sort of sends me spinning and that turns into you know the decision to end my life and in doing that i feel i have to explain to people i leave behind why and i turn to writing the writing itself i you know i didn't know it at the time obviously it became healing it became therapy for me and i kept mm-hmm. writing and then that turned into largely an apology more than a goodbye so I, but I, but I kept writing, and and the he eventually the the healing crept in enough for me to share what I'd written with my girlfriend now now wife, and she just sort of you know it was met with uh, shock and you know you know love of the best kind, yeah. and she's she's like you have to share this story. This is a really important story, and that's when it became a you know what I think. Uh, I need to share this story. This, this, I, need, I need to make a book out of it, and I and I wrote it with like it was me being vulnerable without being vulnerable, really, right? Because I wasn't telling anybody, I wasn't mm-hmm. talking to someone, but I was able to like only the the pages knew my words, only the words knew my feelings, and that's it. It's it ends there. So yeah. I'm not really being vulnerable. But I really am, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it just, yeah, it was a powerful, powerful healing agent. I mean, you say you weren't being vulnerable, but the way I see it, and I talk to writers about this progression all the time, is you start by writing the story down just for you, almost like you're being vulnerable mm-hmm. with just yourself for the first time. Right. And that's sort of what's happening when a repressed memory comes up from our subconscious to our conscious mind is you have to find a way to admit to yourself that this is actually true right? and that it actually happened. And that I feel like that's a massive step of vulnerability that so, so few of us really are willing to take. So I, I just don't, I don't want to understate the, the gravity of admitting to yourself that this, this thing happened that you're remembering. And then you find the courage to be vulnerable and share that with one person who happens to be the closest person to you. I'm assuming closest person to you in your life, your girlfriend at the time, yeah. which yeah. is, an amazing and brave step of vulnerability. And then after we find the courage to share with one person that that ushers in this courage to share with more people, especially when our first sharing experience is met with as yours was, it's met with love and care and compassion. And were there points along the journey where you thought like what I'm thinking is of our listeners who I know will be asking the questions like, well, I'm not really that good of a writer or I don't, my story is really not that interesting or just the, the mental obstacles we bump up against during the actual writing process. Talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah. When, when I did sit down to 
to turn this into a book. Yeah, it sucked. Like I, I looked at it, I'm like, this I can't let people read this. <laughs> and I at least wanted people to enjoy what I what I wrote. And when I what I did write was there was there was dark humor. Like mm. the, the 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 narrator who did the audiobook, there was like auditions or whatever. And like the one a narrator was like, is this meant to be in dark humor? Because is it's a really tough subject matter but I, I feel that there i'm like yeah you gotta hire that guy because that's exactly how i, I meant it <laughs> right like it, it is deep and i'm like but i don't want it to be you know lull and Joel. it was like and if you read chapter one you're like oh this guy's absolutely ridiculous although this is a kind of like sad scene so uh i, I wanted the writing to be to be good and so I did the worst possible thing. I read awesome writers. I, you know, I read Cheryl Strayed's Wild, and was like, "Oh my god, this is this, uh, I don't know if I should even aspire to this." And and others with you know Mary Carr and yes. um, oh jeez, there's so many uh, Sarah Heppala and, and look and Carrie Fisher even you know I mean I don't think you know the writing wasn't great, but she is so brilliant in what she said. So I guess, well, I, this is find your voice. So I had to find my voice and I, I had to borrow many others along the way. And uh, even then, you know, the confidence was pretty low. Um, my wife gifted me a memoir writing class mm-hmm. and it was taught by uh, an award-winning author who happened to be local. Wow. And uh, after the first couple of class, uh, classes, I shared what I had written and she loved it and became my mentor and became my editor and tore it to shreds. <laughs> and, and it's so funny. She prepared me for the first edit. She's like, now this is normal. She's like, don't feel, I'm like, listen, I just want to learn, just want to learn. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that book was written at least three times in full, <laughs> yeah. but I, I loved, I actually loved every moment of it. Just, it, it just got better. I was able to create insights out of my own life or just like, wow, that, why did I do that? Why did I behave that way? Why do I describe people that way? Which is something that uh, she really helped me with because if that's the way I behave and that's the, you know, what informs that, like, where does that come from? And that, you know, I, I often say like, she made me a better writer, but made me a better person because yeah. of the stuff that came, came out of, of that. Like, I, I I cringe in saying this, but like she, one of her comments was, if I have to read the way you described women in this way again, I'm going to scream. And <laughs> partly, you know, obviously it was like, I just didn't describe anyone, you know, regardless of gender very well, because I didn't understand character description. Yeah. And, but it was like, what do you mean? And she's like, this is not how you do it. It's not all visual. It's not this, you know, take, take the, uh, the, the unique parts and describe that. But to me, I'm hearing, I'm a new father to a daughter. My wife certainly doesn't take any crap from me. I'm like, okay, yeah. so how am I thinking? How, if I'm describing it this way, do I see them this way? Yes. Um, so like, yeah. So writing really, editing more and more made me better, I think. I love that piece of wisdom that you're giving to our listeners right now, because um, there are so many ways that the editing process, you know, making a manuscript, taking it from a first draft, a shitty first draft to something that's shareable with an audience isn't really just about publishing. Although that's one great benefit that can come out of it. But I agree with you that 
as you learn how to write better dialogue, you learn to pay attention to the way that people talk and interact with each other. And as you learn character description and character development, you learn to pay closer attention to how people move through the world and what motivates them and to ask questions like, what gets this person out of bed in the morning? And, you know, how would they act in this certain situation? I just, I'm, I think, you know, you said it beautifully that you're making insights out of your own life, even as you're, you're editing. It is so true though. You definitely pay more attention when you have these insights and as you want to describe them, you know, with any degree of articulation, you definitely have to pay much more attention. I I love that. It's true. Are there any other, were there any other insights that came out of that writing slash editing process for you that felt like they were transformative to your life? I think putting the ego aside, I mean, it's, it's about framing criticism you know, uh, early on, I had to definitely, you know, had to thicken my skin and put the ego aside. I, I think that's a that's a big part of editing, especially working with someone outside of yourself. You know, someone from the outside looking in. And this is a very personal memoir. You know, sharing being really vulnerable with these feelings and allowing someone else to come in and criticize how you are articulating it. So, um, I think ego is a big part of it, and. If you can and you treat it like like I was able to early on as a, as a just this will make me a better writer, this will make me a better person i I'm thirsty for for criticism i you know i really i i, I was able to thrive in, in learning to learning more and that's not to say I agreed with every single thing i i did yeah. um, you know at least eighty five percent you know wow I learned so much and then in some things I would go on my own. Okay. I'm going to learn a little bit more. I'll take a course on character development. I know just like creative live and masterclass. Like there's so much available to us now that we can just, we could just learn those little facets that we're struggling with and make them our strengths. Agreed. And I love that you brought up that point of 85% taking in 85% of what your editor says to you. And then 15%, you kind of have to go, I, I hear where you're coming from. And I'm also, this is part of finding your voice is that you, you have to learn to say, like, I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to choose to do it a different way because there's there's something I'm trying to do for the reader here. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because it's, it's, it's in your gut, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Speaking of reader, when you were writing that first draft, was there one person you were thinking about writing it to? <laughs> I struggled with this. I was writing to me. Hmm. And really early on decided to be as raw and honest and brutal because I'm definitely not the hero. You know, I'm definitely the horrible, horrible person throughout it. Um, but it was a journey and I really had to, you know, integrate the the bad and then ultimately integrate the good. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your sobriety journey because from what I can gather and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is happening alongside of the writing journey. <laughs> Can you walk me through that and maybe talk about if there's a connection between the two? Well, the addiction, I mean, the, the early part of the writing was um, at the same time as as the, the addiction and the, and the drugs and the alcohol. And I think, you know, hindsight, of course, it, it's a plea for help. It's it's trying, trying mm-hmm. so much just to hold on. And that's that's my therapist right there was 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 my writing. I guess just the same as we described it, like really 
helped gear me more towards being strong enough to seek real therapy and to seek real healing, uh, well, more healing. But the outward journey like to, to the book was on the other side of addiction. I think um, uh, we had... I mean, we, we, we tapered off, you know, we weren't perfect, you know, uh, we, we did go back and forth and, and decided to get out of that lifestyle. And a year after that, only, you know, suffering a couple of slips here and there, my wife became pregnant and that became zero tolerance. And then we never looked back. Yeah. So once that happened, I'm better at work. I'm much more effective at work. I'm much clear minded. Um, I have a huge, uh, very deep spiritual practice with meditation. In those meditation, meditative states, um, I'm writing a little bit and I'm more confident. And then uh, I guess pair that with a very accommodating wife who gives me a few hours every day to write yeah. and blocking that time. It's it's very much, it was the, per- the timing was perfect because the wounds were fresh and I had to write about them, I guess. Mm. Yeah, this is a conversation we have a lot too on this show and just with our writers in general is about, is it ever too soon to write? And I'm curious to hear if you have thoughts on this, like drawing the dividing line between writing for the writing for healing in a way that's like you talked about raw and honest and as brutal as possible. And then at what point do you transition into thinking about, could I maybe share this with someone or could I maybe share it with a wider audience? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm happy to share my take, but I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what you think. I think it's never too early to write. Yeah, because when when you're writing a memoir and you're writing those scenes, you have to write from the perspective of that person. And if you have notes and you have letters, you have poems, you have diary entries, that brings you back to that frame of mind, so you can be more authentic writing that. And that is over and above the fact that you're actually getting healing out of the writing. But if you have those passages, you know, like I had that chapter one written um, with every intention of taking my life. Um, It's much better written now, I find. But uh, I had that frame of mind. I remember how I felt. I remember the room. I remembered my cat looking at me like, like I was, you know, from Mars. I remember that situation. So when I was able to rewrite that part, it, it was uh, just a stronger memory. You know, mm. does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yeah. I I love, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. It's just never too early to write. Um, mm-hmm. And then make decisions as you write and as you edit about how and when maybe you want to share. But I think that's a, a beautiful approach to take. So you you said somewhere in the description of your book that the the reasons you were writing changed as you wrote your story. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the original reason was, you know, the secret goodbye more than anything. Yeah. I mean, it went from that to therapy and I, I definitely wrote the manuscript for me uh, with, you know, maybe I'll publish it at some point. Uh, Maybe I'll share it, you know, with a wider audience at some point. Um, I didn't really, care at that point because I just wanted to focus on the writing and uh, really enjoying the process. So without those pressures, I think I was able to enjoy the writing a bit bit more. When we got into editing and sometimes it was to impress my editor because I respected her so much. And then, you know, a, a little bit of, you know, 
if you're going to publish it, maybe we should do this. I'm like, okay. I just I didn't want that pressure. So yeah, yeah. ultimately when at some point it would it became really clear that this could help uh, other people, especially when I – you know, I, I was, I took part in a, I still take part in a men's group and then I started sharing it with more people around me and everybody said the same thing. I'm like, okay, well, you definitely, definitely have to share this. This is like too good, too important not to share. So I took that more as encouragement, I guess, instead of pressure. And it really became about helping people. I was able to, and I had already written down the awful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I was able to really dig into the good stuff. I'm like, this is how I healed. You know, it may, you know, it's not a prescription, but this is how I did it. Um, you know, and it's not one thing. There's no panacea. It's a lot of little things and you have to be yeah. open and you have to, yeah, there's, there's, there's just so much that I wanted to share. So I did that. <laughs> and then let's talk a little bit about the journey to publishing and what that's looked like for you, because I know we have a lot of people who are listening who are like, I really want to publish a book someday I want. And and for everybody, that means something a little bit different. But some people are fine with the idea of self-publishing. Some people really have a dream of publishing with a traditional publisher or they dream of their book hitting the New York Times list. So I'm just curious internally for you, what was going on as you started to make decisions about sharing this work more widely, what that journey looked like for you practically and then what you were thinking about as it was happening. So I, I wanted to, I guess it's just the entrepreneur in me. I wanted to do the grunt work. I didn't want to leverage relationships. I just sort of wanted to, when I decided to, that, that I should publish, I just, I, I went online and started submitting, you know, the, the manuscript through the online forms. Mm-hmm. Canadian literary agents are, this is being recorded, uh, <laughs> are, are not as kind, I guess. They're not as open. And literally no agency was like accepting new uh, nonfiction uh, from what I knew anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, and the one agent I, I, I did speak with was, was really dismissive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and I, I don't want special treatment, but I, I'm also – I'm a, a successful person that treats everyone equal. And, sure. you know, I think everyone should be treated equal, but, you know, and in that position, it's, it is kind of difficult to get into. So I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat it. It is, a, it is a, to, to get out there. And more American uh, agents responded than Canadian. They, they were actually mm-hmm. much kinder, but ultimately, and then there's a whole spectrum of digital publishing and self-publishing or, sure. and there's a whole, which is, which was fascinating to me. And I, 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 I spoke with a, a few and I didn't know which fed the ego more to, to go with a traditional publisher or to go with uh, a self-publisher. And I was really leaning towards self-publishing because I could control my narrative, you know, through traditional publishing, you get five to 20% of profits yeah. and you don't own your own work and, and publishing, you don't, you get the reverse of that, you know, 70 to 80, depending on your platforms. And i i I worked in tech and like, I kind of know. And <laughs> thank goodness, because the two main weapons in traditional uh, publishing's arsenal are book signings and bookstores. Yeah. And those aren't available to me right now. Yeah. So had I gone that route, 
I, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I don't think I wouldn't be able to sell as many books as I had, uh, but I certainly don't think I would have gotten the reach that that I have. Definitely. What has mm-hmm. it been like for you to connect with people and now strangers who are reading this really tender story that you, you know, it's one thing to share it with your girlfriend or wife, but now that other people are reading it, what's that, what's that been like? So I did a pre-release with, you know, just sort of, um, my network and it was about 200 people and 30 to 40% of them responded with their own trauma. Wow. They, they all responded positively and a huge amount of love as friends and family would, but the prevalence of trauma in, in, it was a little overwhelming. I was warned. I reached out to uh, Theo Fleury, which is a big Canadian author who was a whistleblower on his childhood sexual trauma. And he became one of the NHL's best players of all time. And he said, he's like, you just get ready for people to respond. You've been really vulnerable and they're going to be, want to be vulnerable with you. A is going to be a lot. B, you won't be able to help them all. And that is going to be a tough pill to swallow. But yeah. so even within my own network, kind of blew me away. And I quickly took a, um, a suicide prevention course. So, uh, so I am happy to say I prevented two suicides and wow. with your ability to recognize state and, and connect people with, with the proper help. And then now, yeah, it's only the last few weeks I've been getting messages from strangers telling me how much their, their, the work has meant, meant to me. I wrote an essay, actually published an essay uh, on Medium about in my, in my men's group, when it was my turn to share, I chose the first day and I, I said, listen, I wrote a book and you're not in it, but this is you know, about the trauma. And I, you know, I gave them all a copy. And the following week, one of my, I guess, group members had been holding on to a trauma for 50 years. He only shared it with his wife and his therapist. And, it was the, and he shared it with us for the first time. And he said, I wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for your book. And he turns to me and says, thank you, Rob. And I'm losing my shit, yeah. <laughs> obviously. I'm like, where do you, what do you do that? I, I did expect some, you know, that sort of thing. But in that room and, you know, all of us, all 12 of us are very vulnerable and very open and it blew me away. And that's when it was literally a week after it was actually officially released. And I was like, okay, well, this book is a success. A success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I resonate with that so much. I The second book that I wrote with my name on it is called Indestructible, and it's nice. a really vulnerable personal story of, of going through an abusive marriage and leaving that marriage and finding my way in the world again as a woman. And the first book that I ever released has performed better in the marketplace than the second book, okay. which is sometimes a hard pill for me to swallow because I'm like, the second book is so much better. Uh, and <laughs> There are a lot of reasons, you know, like the entrepreneurial part of my brain is like there are hoops that you can jump through and things that you can do to make a, a product sell better. And I can I can see a lot of reasons why the second book didn't sell as well as the first book, but or hasn't yet. But what I'm resonating with is when I get emails from women who say, I never knew that my relationship was abusive until I read your book, or I never wow. I never would have left my marriage and sit in and protected my children if it weren't for your book. Or, you know, I actually got a, a direct message from a man on Twitter who said, I read your book and it totally wrecked me and it will forever change the way that I treat my wife. Wow. And 
messages like that are, you know, I mean, they don't pay the bills. So I'm just, you know, like (laughs) that's obviously a thing that needs to happen, but they, they bring so much satisfaction and closure to me and meaning to the experience that I've had that was really painful that they, they do for me so much more than a paycheck ever would. And it's not that a book can't bring us a paycheck, but at the end of the day, even if you're publishing with a traditional publisher and your book does really well, I try to explain to authors, I'm like, a book can't be, you can't count on a book to be your, the way that you eat or the way that your family eats. (laughs) You have to sell a whole lot of books (laughs) in order to make a decent living. So there's something, I think that's what you're getting at. There's something so deeply satisfying and rewarding about getting those kinds of responses. And in your case, preventing a couple of, of people from, from taking their life that there's just like, uh, nothing that matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can't measure it. So what does your writing life look like now, now that the book is out in the world and are, are you working on something new? Are you writing every day still? Yep. Definitely writing every day. I mean, mornings are a ritual for me. I, I, I keep gratitude journal. So I, I just keep, and which I write in a book in cursive. And now I, I have uh, three to four hours a day. I just sort of... Uh, uh, I'm I'm able to go to my mother's house because she can't go out. So our co work COVID friendly, and yeah. uh, and so uh, yeah, have those hours. I've taken a columnist position at Good Men Projects, and oh, I'm wow. looking at the, they have kind of like a a program where you can write 52 posts, you know, once a week, and and that you can spin that into a book, and it's something that I'm looking at. I, I really like the idea because I'm I'm learning about male masculinity and, and how, you know, it, it informs society and informs me as, as a father, um, something really, it really touches me. So it's just kind of like writing my journey and discovering what all that means, you know, what, what it actually means and how it's unfolded. And yeah. I had some great conversations with, you know, my wife and my best friend this morning. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating to me, you know, and, and where does it come from? Where's this toxic masculinity or this, the idea, the construct of masculinity, what does that mean? Because this is a, a quickly changing day. You know, yes. so, so it's, it's, it's amazing to, to watch it unfold and I want to be a part of it. I want to further the conversation. That's incredible. Writing does, it gives us the ability to tease out these ideas and really create a space that was never there before, create a new pathway forward, not only for ourselves, but also for the world. So it's neat to see that you're not only continuing that for your own personal development and healing, but also, you know, one thing that I find with authors we work with is there's usually like um, the, the first book is like this, a personal story that they need to process through. And then after that, it's almost like it opens the door for many messages that could be delivered to the wider world through you and through your voice because you chose to process your, your personal story first. I, I'm curious, all the time I'm like harping on this message with our <laughs> listener about writing, choosing to write as a way to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. And I do feel I have enough of an understanding of, of my own mental health struggles in my life a lot of anxiety and depression. And my dad's also a clinical psychologist. So I'm attuned enough to the world to know that it's really be naive and dangerous of me to say like, you know, I'm, I'm careful about talking about writing as therapy, although it is therapy. Mm -hmm. I'm like also hire a great therapist and, and, you know, 
take meds if you need them. Right. Yep. <laughs> but, but I'm I'm wondering if like from your mouth as someone who has suffered quite a lot from trauma, addiction, uh, depression, all of these things, and have experienced a great bit of healing from the process of writing, if you could speak directly to some listeners who I know are listening, who are considering writing and maybe sort of dabble in writing, but they haven't really thrown themselves into the process yet. And perhaps they're feeling some resistance or they're a little bit afraid. Could you give them some advice? Yeah, I think like it's something I do touch on in my, my book, which I think I've mentioned is that healing is, is not one thing, but writing is one of probably the most powerful tools out there because you can be as vulnerable or not as vulnerable or as funny or as silly or as ridiculous as you want to be because you don't really have to share it. Mm -hmm. I think keeping a daily journal, which is something I just restarted, is really helped me gain insight into anything, any, you know, qualms I'll have with my wife or, you know, how I'm feeling, you know, towards my toddler. I want to, I want to get those feelings out. I want to look at them. So I think, yeah, writing is so, and one of the, the, a few of the exercises I've done through my therapist have, have been writing exercises. Um, mm. I've had to write a letter with my right hand to my eight-year-old self and respond with my left hand, my, my weaker writing hand back. And that brings up a lot of stuff. That's heartbreaking. It's hard, but it's, it's also freeing and and empowering. Um, So I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the most powerful tools in, in, in healing. Mm -hmm. So would a daily journal practice be the first thing you'd recommend if there's somebody out there who's going like, I think I kind of want to try this or dip my toe in the water or get started or whatever is, is keeping a daily journal responding to prompts maybe? Is that the first place you would tell them to go or is there that's how, that's, something practical? Yeah, that'd be great. Like I, I use, oh man, I used to use a journal for years. I used the same thing. I think it's like a five minute journal where it prompts you for three things you're grateful for. Yeah. And I, man, I have, I still have them all and they're all filled out that because that changes your brain, right? There's, there's, there's that totally. little science behind that. And I didn't realize how powerful just writing down, I forgot the word, it's aspirations, I guess, in just reminding yourself, like I write every day, I love and respect myself. Now, when I started writing that, I didn't believe that statement. Sure but I wrote it. I forced myself to write it down. And in it, I'm like, why don't I love and respect myself? What in me do I not love and respect? And I changed those qualities. And now I write it and I mean it. I mean, every word I do love and respect myself because I am this, you know, husband and father with integrity. And, you know, so I think, and, and now I write things, you know, out there, you know, I, I, I love Michael Singer, so I will surrender to the, the flow of life, yeah. um, right? I, I, I love the, writing those things down too, uh, because in writing, it, it tells you how you're feeling, what you aspire to, how you're, how, what's left over in, in your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much for just 
for putting your story down on paper. Thank you for sharing with us so vulnerably today. You've mentioned a handful of authors and books that I think would be really great for us to link in the show notes. So we'll link those in the show notes, um, including Robert Singer, who I have literally have his book, both of his books sitting on my coffee table right now. <laughs> I read them forever ago and then pulled them out again during this pandemic time because it's just been oh, a time of surrender. My wife and I are doing his course actually online. <laughs> Oh, are you? Great. That's that's awesome. And also your book is called Before I Leave You, A Memoir on Suicide, Addiction, and Healing. And I would encourage everybody who's listening to go purchase a copy. Is is there one place that you send people to go get a copy or are you sending people to Amazon or do you have a separate landing page? I Well, I have a landing page, but it just goes to to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Goodreads. Okay. I am, I'm going to okay. set up a store uh, at some point, hopefully soon, to sell my own copies and, and I'll sign them and that sort of thing. Because I think the, the proceeds are going to the Center uh, for Treatment Center for Childhood Sexual Abuse. It's the center that I go to. So I'm also a client. And Amazing. so I can get more of those funds from personally signing for maybe an extra five bucks or something like that. So yeah, and sure. uh, yeah. Uh, so we, I would go to the before I leave you dot com uh, is is the landing page and you can read more and see get the links to whichever story you like and there's it's also on, on audiobook as well. Incredible. Well, again, thank you. Before we wrap up, I always end with the same question, which really is born out of this idea that our words have an incredible power to leave a legacy beyond us. So the question I always ask to wrap up these interviews is what. What do you hope will be the words that you're remembered by? <laughs> of my words? It's a big question. It's a big, big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't think of legacy much because um, I really try to live in the present uh, as much as I can. <laughs> I want my, my kids to know, <laughs> to remember that I was present for them as much as I humanly could be. Mm. Again, thank you so much for your time, Robert. Thanks for sharing with us today. We're really grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you for your podcast. I'm, I'm loving it. Oh, good. So glad. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.